I just find it comical. But at the same time, it's also very, very gratifying you know, to think that, yes, we're going to use this extraordinarily complex, one of the most technologically advanced CNC machines available today to make these silly little devices that uh, aren't a whole lot different than rolling papers. This is Swarfcast. I'm Noah Graff. On today's show, we're talking about vaporizers. Our guest is George Brewa. His company, Dynavap, manufactures battery-free vaporizers on CNC Swiss machines. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graffpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. Thank you for coming on the podcast, George. Sure. Um, and I'd like you to uh, first tell our audience in a nutshell what you guys are making, uh, what Dynavap makes. Did I pronounce the company right? Dynavap or yes, Dynavape? Uh, well, we prefer Dynavap considering that our devices contain no electronic components. So it's kind of a vape without an E, therefore it's Vap. Okay. So... I don't so, know if that helps clarify. Good. So uh, so I got it right. Tell everybody the nitty-gritty of uh, Dynavap. Okay. Uh, Dynavap is a company that specializes and focuses on the manufacture of battery-free vaporizing devices and equipment. So our devices are, I'd almost say, deceptively simple in terms of design, are also very user-friendly in terms of operation, where... All you need is some available heat source of sufficient intensity to raise the temperature of the vaporization chamber above the, we'll call it the vaporization temperature of the active compounds you're looking to extract. Well, tell everybody what, what it does. What it does? Oh. Give, yeah. get, let, start start from, from the very, very beginning. So, from the very beginning is... What is it a, for? What's it for? Well... It's for a wide range of different purposes, and you know I hope you can understand that you know there, there are certain things that need to just be a little bit uh, nebulous about because of various uh, things and uh, we'll call it political uh, <laughs> challenges that uh, we have in our uh, in our society, depending on which country or which state you reside in. But uh, uh, as a person that has never been a fan of smoke or smoking, uh, regardless of what it is that you are smoking. Uh, I was looking for an alternative, you know, not necessarily for myself, but for the people around me to c- 
consume their materials in a, we'll call it more responsible fashion that would be less offensive to the people around them. Or Tobac- other, tobacco, whatever, other, other, other substances. Absolutely. Because, you know, the thing is, there's a wide range of different materials that a person can effectively vaporize. And not just in our devices, but in all vaporizing devices for that matter. You know, depending on who makes them and how they're structured, whether it's going to be, you know, a plant type material or some type of an extract. There are vaporizers on the market that will effectively vaporize nearly any compound and function as a delivery mechanism that doesn't require combustion extraction. And it's the combustion extraction that we're trying to avoid because that's where all the incomplete combustion byproducts and a lot of the carcinogens and other, we'll say, say unpleasant compounds that are really not good for the person that's consuming mm-hmm. and also not good for the people around that person. So, okay. Smoking. It's so 30 years ago, if you know what I mean. (laughs) There's no need for it anymore. And, you know, I get that it's popular because it's a very simple, low-tech means of extracting active compounds. But the fact is, there are now much, much better alternatives. But until uh, I think we were able to kind of refine some of our products, most of those alternatives required complex electronics, batteries, power management, and temperature controls, and all kinds of other things in order to function correctly. Mm-hmm. And that, in a nutshell, is kind of the impetus for doing what we did here. And that's to create more of a mechanical analog-style vaporizer that will effectively vaporize nearly any active compound out of nearly any available material in a way that doesn't create incomplete combustion byproducts. So for the people that don't know, the typical vaporizer for for smoking runs on a battery. Yes? Yes, almost all of them. I'd say a good solid 98 to 99% of all the vaporizers produced function either on batteries or a plug-in-the-wall electric heating element. Okay, okay. So the alternative is to to heat your device with some other thing. Correct. Why don't you, why don't you, why don't you uh, give people the nitty gritty on that? All right. Well, so one of the primary objectives from the initial design standpoint, from the very beginning, was to create a device that would liberate the customer, right, the operator of the device, from the need of a proprietary heat source. Okay. So if it's a battery powered vaporizer, it tends to have the proprietary heat source built into it. Or some of them will utilize, say, an 18650 that you can take out and recharge. But if you don't happen to have an 18650, you don't have a vaporizer. Okay. So mm-hmm. our devices, on the other hand, can utilize anything from a lighter to a candle to a stick from the campfire, an electric heating element on your cook stove. And there's even a growing range of other alternatives, including induction heaters, that are uh, showing up on the market and becoming more available. And since all the control is then effectively external to the device, you can utilize all of these types of heat sources effectively and consistently because the device has built an indicator, but you as the operator are the control. Okay. So But you have to have some other way to heat it. That's the yes. that's 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 the the drawback that you have to be carrying two things with you. Well it's either the drawback or it's the advantage because if you look at a typical electronic vaporizer, if we if we break apart a vaporizer, and this kind of goes for all vaporizers, you can pretty much summarize them into three constituent components. The first one is, we'll call it the the extraction chamber that holds the material that is ready for vaporizing and extraction. Okay, 
The second is the heat source, and the third thing is the control for the heat source. Okay? Okay. All electronic vaporizers have all three of these things combined into one unit. Mm -hmm. Therefore, when one thing fails, the whole vaporizer fails and is no longer usable. So if your battery goes dead or if your control fails, you don't have a vaporizer, even though your extraction chamber and the other thing are completely fine. I see. When separate the control and the heat source from the actual extraction chamber, now we do two key things. Number one is we put a much more convenient level of control in the hands of the operator. Okay, Because now, instead of trying to push buttons or turn dials or use a Bluetooth connection through your phone to adjust the temperature settings of your vaporizer, you just change where you're applying heat or how long you're applying heat relative to the indicator on our device. Second of that, the two most failure-prone components of all vaporizers are, probably to no surprise, the heat source and the heat control. And by not having either of those components built in to our devices, those failure-prone components out and leaving the end consumer with a very robust and reliable device that realistically can and probably should last that person and their kids and maybe their grandkids a very long time. Wow. And to, to basically, and just still, it, if it physically broke, you're saying. And, and that's the other thing. You know, from a physical breakage perspective, it's not something that we have a whole lot of issue with because, uh, you know, our, say our entry-level model, our Model M, retails in the U.S. for $60. I don't think we've received a single return yet from someone that's broken one. They're, they're machined from, you know, solid 316 stainless steel. They generally don't break. They're very robust and reliable. About the only thing that ever really wears out are the O-rings. And occasionally, if someone's very abusive or complacent, they might step on and crush the cap. Or if they really severely overheat it, it'll throw off the calibration, which now it doesn't indicate at the right temperature. But the cool thing is you can replace the O-rings quickly and easily and for not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And the cap is not terribly expensive. You know, it's going to run about the same price as a couple of 18650s for a, a battery-powered vaporizer. Okay. So, more or less two consumable components, and the rest of the device should pretty much last you the rest of your life because it's not going to rust, it's not going to corrode, and you can literally drive over these things with your car and they don't break. Wow. Wow. Well, so it's a great irony that you're using the most sophisticated equipment possible to make a very, very simple product, which well, makes sense. It, it depends if you consider it simple, okay? Yeah, explain, uh, explain the process a little bit more. It's okay. probably over my head, but uh, well, let's, people need let's, to know exactly how sure. it works. Let's take a rocket nozzle, for example. Is a rocket nozzle simple? Well, in operation, it's actually very simple. You take a hot gas and you push it through a rocket nozzle and... Through a pressure drop, you accelerate the, we'll just say the molecules in that stream of hot gas to a very high speed. Okay? Mm -hmm. Push hot gas through a nozzle and you accelerate them. It doesn't have any moving parts. But is it simple? Well, it depends on how you look at it. The principle of operation is very simple. The dynamics of how it works and how to get the correct geometries in order to make it function as well as the uh, liquid cooling or the radiative cooling that it needs to have so it doesn't melt itself, that's a little bit more complex. And I don't think our devices are a whole lot different in the regard that when you look at how they actually function, they actually have several key components that are combined and features combined into singular components. You know, if we take the uh, 
the extraction tip, for example. Do you and have I'll, it? Yeah, okay, cool. You have it right okay. here. So uh, I'm trying to keep things in focus. But uh, if we look at their tip here, we're going to see several features. For example, uh, you can see these fins, right? Uh, these fins function as a means of minimizing how much thermal transfer we get from our extraction chamber into the rest of the body of the device. In, a, in addition to that, if we separate it, what you're going to see is there are O-rings on the end of this tip, okay? And those O-rings provide several things. Number one, they provide a very simple way to connect the components, right? Mm -hmm. You literally push and twist them together, no threads necessary, so you don't have to worry about cross-threading your components. And in addition to that, the O-rings provide what's called a thermal break, because the O-rings have a very low thermal conductivity, and that stops the little bit of heat that makes its way through all the, the mass here and across all these heat fins and minimizes how much heat and temperature rise we get in our body or stem of our device here. So, moving on, we also have our extraction chamber, okay? So, our extraction chamber in conjunction with our cap, okay? So, the device is used in this condition. Now, okay. if we load our material into our extraction chamber okay. and we place the cap over the top, and if you've seen the videos, we then apply our heat source to the outside of our cap. So there's the two parts. There's a cap and yes. then the, what's the other part called again? We call this our tip. The cap and the tip. Okay. Yep. And the tip, tip is the entire component here that I just pulled apart. And the extraction chamber is basically the opening on the end okay. with a, a little screen in the bottom. And the okay. cap is where you put whatever you're going to, to vaporize. Nope. Put that right into here, and the cap simply goes over the top. Oh, okay. And, and so then we use our heat source to apply heat to the side of our cap until we hear the cap click. And so the device, again, doesn't have the control. The operator is the control. And the operator utilizes the indication of the cap that, hey, I'm at temperature to determine, okay, I'm going to stop applying heat or I'm going to apply heat for just another second longer to get a little bit higher temperature because it's the first heat cycle and I haven't thermally loaded my extraction chamber yet. Okay. okay. So once that occurs, then uh, the device can be utilized uh, very analogous to uh, a cigarette. Describe okay. it to people how, how long it is. Uh, our device is 92 millimeters or about the length of uh, you know a, a long or a, like a 100 or 120 uh, type cigarette. Okay. 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 It's about 10 millimeters in diameter, so a little bit larger than, we'll just say, a standard pen body. All in all, not very big. Okay. And our heaviest device weighs about 20 grams, or about three-quarters of an ounce. And that's the heaviest device. You know, our titanium devices, uh, some of them are down closer to 10 grams, and we even have some wood devices that are under 10 grams. So Interesting. Very, very lightweight. So that, that allows for some other usage uh, styles that aren't really available with other vaporizers in the market. For example, you can heat this thing up until it clicks, and you can just put it in your mouth and you know, take away your hands because it's just not very big. It's not very heavy. So you then have both of your hands free to do what it is that you want to be doing <laughs> until uh, the uh, cap cools down and it clicks or it stops producing vapor. How long can it last before it stops producing vapor? It depends a little bit on two factors. So Again, this is our, our stainless steel model, and if I grab this other one here, this is our titanium model. And just because of the mass differential between the titanium and the stainless, mm -hmm. stainless one takes longer to heat up, it also takes longer to cool down. So it's more user-friendly in a cold and windy environment. 
The titanium one, on the other hand, has lower mass, so it heats up faster. It also cools down faster. It's so, more um, just for the people not watching. It's it's definitely more ornate too in how it's in the styling. Wouldn't you say? I'm just oh, looking yeah. at from. And and this is a big part of the reason why we're looking to evolve our manufacturing process into not just mass production, but high technology, high capability technology to allow us to achieve more complex designs, architecture, geometry, and ideally improved overall operation because we can now machine in features that are effectively unmachinable without that level of capability. Interesting. Interesting. So you can do wood, titanium, uh, stainless, you said? Yes. And those are the three the three choices? Those are our mainstays. We've made uh, various components out of a wide range of different materials. In fact, the, uh, the first devices that I uh, was prototyping were primarily constructed from glass. Cool. Uh, glass. Yeah, I saw that in a video. But are you continuing the glass or not really? Uh, the glass has been, I'm not going to say discontinued, but suspended. Because uh, the metal products are so much more durable. And I think that's just a really important feature to have. Because... You know, when you're converting your habits from smoking to vaporizing, there's not much that's more unpleasant than I just dropped my vaporizer and it smashed. Ugh. And I'm nowhere near home. In fact, I'm traveling. And that's the problem with all the other vaporizers, that they break. So it sort of defeats the purpose of your product. Exactly. They break or their batteries die or they whatever else might happen. It just becomes a less robust design and it's... It's a material that isn't near as appealing or durable or robust as making them from wood or, say, stainless or titanium. So Hmm. not that we won't continue to manufacture a limited number of them. I don't think they'll be a mainstay just for the durability factor. Is there – I'm not an engineer, but, I mean, is is there a type of glass that's really durable? Oh, there sure is. That, that wouldn't it, break, or would that be too expensive? Wouldn't break? No. More resistant to breakage? Yes. But uh, now the cost factor is going to be in on par with the titanium models that we produce. And how much are those? Our, our titanium models are in that uh, 180 to $200 range, depending on their size and some of the features. Okay. And what are the most popular? Uh, by far, our most popular ones are our stainless models, because... There's such a low barrier to entry. You know, at $60 U.S., you can buy a very functional, extremely durable, very capable vaporizer and kind of test out, you know, whether or not right. an analog mechanical vaporizer is going to work for you and meet your needs. Right, because it's a new thing. So if people are going to experiment, they don't want to blow $180. Exactly. Sense. And what we find is that uh, not small percentage of our customers, buyer M, try it out sometimes within a few days and sometimes it's six months later they come back and they buy upgrades and in the upgrades is kind of a fun thing because of the design of our devices being very modular Mm -hmm. you can upgrade your device one component at a time okay because nearly all of the components of our most expensive titanium vaporizer are interchangeable with our least expensive stainless steel vaporizer wow that's really interesting so, in addition to that, here's kind of a, uh, a similarity. If, if you're familiar with, uh, I, I think, kind of a fun example, you know, Tesla, they 
upgrade their car's software over the air automatically for all of their vehicle owners for the entire time that their vehicle is still viable on the road. Mm-hmm. So with our devices, anytime we come up with a new upgrade, it's our goal to make that component backwards compatible with all of our previous devices. So you can upgrade the one component that has the feature or the new option or the new configuration that you're looking for. And you only have to And you're constantly coming up with new options for them. And that's just with our existing manufacturing infrastructure. And as we continue to grow and develop our infrastructure and add new capabilities, both in the CNC world and in other uh, areas as well, I don't anticipate that to stop. Right. Well, you you got me thinking of like the the problem of if if the products are too indestructible, then maybe maybe people will just buy one and they won't they they won't buy any more. But the products aren't expensive enough that pe- people probably would say, "Hey, I, I, this one's really cool. I want to." Is is so? Is that part of the reason the styling has to be cool so people will buy more than one? Sort well, of like wearing shoes or something. Like, yeah, it's it's certainly a factor. But at the same time, we don't need to be discriminatory here. Is if you want to buy our lowest cost model and never upgrade it, well, since the parts are generally compatible, if you wear out the cap or the O-rings, well, those parts are going to be available. You'll be able to keep it functional and operation, as far as we're concerned, for a hundred years. Who cares? You know, it's not hurting us, and every time you take it out and you uh, introduce someone else to it, well, there's a whole new potential customer for us and someone that might buy a premium model or might want to buy right. a few new components or upgrades. Do you, did you hire, like, uh, you know, somebody from, you know, a, a pretty experienced uh, setup person or um, manufacturing engineer to, to uh, come up with your plan or... Uh, you know, that might have been a good idea, but the answer is no. Mm-hmm. Uh, what ended up happening is uh, Jason, who you'll meet if you come up here, originally when I was just kind of getting things going, uh, he was making some parts for me on his old like 1952 South Bend lathe. Okay? Wow. And when I say making parts, he prototyped some of our first titanium tips and was cutting some of our internal condenser tubes and making some of our wood mouthpieces. This is before I had any employees. Okay, So I was just painting by the piece to do these things, and I was giving him something to do, and he didn't really have a whole lot going on either. So I appreciated the parts, and he appreciated the work. It was a good deal. Yeah. It's prototyping, uh, so you don't need a lot. A lot of that. You know, in, in, we'll call it small-scale production, right? So fast forward, you know, about eight to nine months later, he decided he wanted to take the role a little bit more serious, wanted to be... Uh, become part of the company and we started looking at machines and the first CNC machines we actually purchased were uh, made or they're not made they're sold by a company that's right here in Wanakee called uh, Tormac. Tormac okay I've heard of that. Yeah so they're stepper motor machines you know lathes and mills nothing really complicated pretty low cost machines and so as soon as Jason came on board and, and this is just kind of funny part of the story uh, we had just got back from IMTS 2016. Okay. You know, that was my second trip there. It was his first trip. And, you know, it was, it's just kind of overload if you've never seen. I know. That. This year was amazing, I thought, with all the robotics. And, and yeah, it was just awesome. I love that show. It's one of my favorite things to, to, to do and just yeah. love going there. Yeah. 
last time I was there with Jason and one other person, and we were there for basically a little over uh, a little over half the day because we got stuck in traffic on our way there. So we had to hit the floor till like ten thirty, eleven mm-hmm. o'clock. It's terrible. But after IMTS, we uh, ended up buying our first CNC machine. And this is kind of fun because Jason had never touched a CNC machine before, All right? Mm. What so, was his What was his background? What was his training? Uh, you know, it had nothing to do with machining. He just had purchased the South Bend lathe and worked on it a little bit because he wanted to basically turn some parts. You know, of course, it's a it's a two axis manual lathe, right? You know, very simplistic. Yeah, but good quality machine, right? Made back in the fifties, so. We decided we're going to go after it. He's like, you know, I can learn G-code, he says. He's like, well, I think you can. I had a little bit of CNC experience from this little benchtop CNC I bought like seven or eight years ago just to make some parts for some toys I was working on in my basement. Interesting. Definitely not production. And about a week or so later, we got a follow-up call from uh, Ganesh, one of the booths we visited, and a a rather pushy salesman that said, come on, let's let's fly out to California, meet the owners, show you the equipment, Uh, we'll, we'll We'll get you going. And it was between them and Star were, were the first two machines that we were really considering. Okay. We ended up going with the Ganesh because it was a lower cost machine. If I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I probably would go with Star because I think it would have been a little bit higher quality machine. Probably make the parts a little bit faster, probably get a little bit better support. And that's mm-hmm. not to talk negatively about Ganesh, but I they think. Look, they look really slick too. They have a nice aesthetic. Yeah, they look all right. But, but I think. What their main objective is, is to provide a very low-cost machine Yes. in that category. And so you're missing some of the other things that you find, I think, with some of the higher-end, more well-developed companies like Star and especially like Traben Index. But anyway, so went out to California, met with them, and while I was out there, I said, well, we're having CNC school next week. It's like, well, you know, my guy doesn't really know how to program a machine. It might be nice if he could participate. So we'll send him out here. He can, he can come on out. Uh. So... I call him up that day. This was Friday. He said, hey, Jason, you want to fly out to California uh, on Sunday and go to CNC school next week? And his answer was, sure. So <laughs> bought a plane ticket that night, flew out there, and uh, went through school. We ended up buying that Ganesh. Uh, and this is uh, after we had made the purchase but hadn't even taken delivery of the Tormac yet. And so our first CNC machine actually hit the floor just a little over two years ago in September of 2016. Okay. Funny how things, how the, oh, yeah. the, the series of events, which well, exactly creates decisions. So we got that Tormac on the floor. Jason got back from CNC school. He started programming that thing and uh, we started making our own parts and it took us a little while to uh, get all of our stuff in order to purchase that Ganesh, but we did that. That arrived in December and we got three days of training on it when uh, it arrived. And other than that, it's just uh, between Jason and myself, uh, I'd say a lot more Jason than me, <laughs> learn that machine inside and out, learn how to make it sing, and wow, off we went. The things are about to get a little bit more interesting here because uh, we actually ended up purchasing a, a TNL-18 right from Index. Hopefully it'll be delivered here beginning of November, so we'll have that on the floor to kind of join some of the other CNC equipment that we have. So Well, I said to Ben, I said your I mean your product looks it looks really great, but I mean this is a powerful machine. This is like 
you know, the Lamborghini of Swiss machines using Ganeshes. And no offense to Ganesh, but I mean, it's like going from a Hyundai to a Lamborghini. And that's exactly where we want to take our whole product line is, you know, the, the whole impetus to create our devices was to make something that's very robust and reliable, mm-hmm. simple to use and durable, right? But at the same time, let's just not make it a simple cylindrical tube that anyone with a two-axis CNC lathe can make. You know, that's that's boring. That's not interesting, and it's way too easy to replicate. Let's take, you know, some of the revenue that we're creating by doing this and, you know, create an ongoing uh, evolution of what it is that we're making and really start to see what we can do in terms of pushing the limits of our mechanical design and technology to make some of the highest quality products that we possibly can and really push the evolution and you really thought that the Traub was necessary to do that. I mean, I, I know some, I know Swiss to some extent, but I, I know that, that what, what is the advantage that can do really hard material? It's not just hard material, it's complex. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so if we think about uh, an example of something that's mechanically complex, right? Take a, a Swiss watch, for example, right? You don't make Swiss watches on cheap, simple, inexpensive, low-cost, non-precision ma- machines. You, you know, you make them on extremely high-precision, very complex, very capable machines, and that's a big part of the reason why they're very difficult to mass-produce unless you have access to that type of manufacturing infrastructure. That is true. They, and, they use indexes in the, um, in the Rolex factory. Right, and that's the direction that... Uh, in my mind, is the direction that we want to go as we begin the transition with this first trob. I don't know if we'll end up with a second trob or if we'll make the jump into an index before that happens, but uh, we're really hoping that uh, our next machine purchase is going to be either another trob or an index next year and kind of continue in that direction where we can be making extraordinarily complex components for our devices and really kind of pushing the limits of a mechanical vaporizer. Do you have like a five-year forecast? Uh, how much you guys expand? What what are you doing right now as far as like shipping worldwide, etc.? Well, our five-year plan is pretty vague at this point. Uh, best way to summarize it is we're looking to grow, and we're looking to grow as quickly as we effectively can. Because unlike an index, our products are a little bit more simplistic, and I think the risk of them being knocked off is much much higher. Yes. And so our perspective on that is our best defense is a good offense, and that is to scale up our operation as quickly and as efficiently as we possibly can, make as many as we possibly can, and at the same time, this is where the whole and index thing comes into play, to scale to compete with the capability of the mass manufacturer of China. To think that you can do that in the U.S. is mm, maybe just a little bit far-fetched. Yeah. To scale with machines that are extraordinarily complex and capable of making extremely high-precision, very intricate things. Right. That is one way to try to... uh... At least slow them down. Mm -hmm. Right? And at least, on top of that, maintain a little bit of a differentiator that they may be able to knock off the design and make an overly simplistic version of it. That may still function, maybe even comparable but it'll clearly not be the same thing. I, I'm hopeful that between TROB and INDEX, we're going to be able to make something that is much more challenging to accurately duplicate in mass production. I see. So you want to stop 
people from being able to duplicate it. Well, or at least make it, make it difficult. You know, where if you're going to mass produce a knockoff of our product, you're going to have to step up your game and invest in the kind of manufacturing infrastructure that we are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, $200,000 Ganesh machines or whatever you're paying for your Taiwanese, you know, dual spindle machines or stepping into a million or multi-million dollar multi-spindle, you know, with, you know, 35 or 39 axes, you can't even really compare the two. That makes sense. That makes sense. I think that is the calculation of a lot of people here, that that's how they can, or in Europe, that that's how they can stay ahead. Well, what other choice do we have? I just don't think it's practical to think that we can scale up mass production of simplistic things to compete with China. I mean, they've got access to cheap, you know, machine tools. They don't, they don't hold tight tolerances, but they hold pretty good ones. But uh, they also have very cheap labor and very cheap access to materials. I just don't see it being practical, especially Why when do you, you need such tight tolerances for... Well, see, that's the beautiful thing. Why do you need them? To a certain extent, they're, they're necessary in order to maintain the right fit, finish, and feel of the product. Okay? Right. So when you look at any high-end thing, right? You take, take a Swiss watch, for example. Do you need tight tolerances to manufacture it? Sure you do. Now, do you need tight tolerances to make a digital watch? Well, a little bit to make some of the electronic stuff that are just made by the millions. But the reality is the electronic components are much more simplistic to manufacture and to mass produce mm -hmm. than the extremely high precision mechanical components of a Swiss watch. So part of the reason we need tight tolerances is to reduce the propensity of our devices for duplication, right? Yeah. And secondary to that, to maintain the right fit, feel, and finish that our customers are willing to pay for to get that premium product and to know it's not just some, you know, ugly mass-produced thing that was made on a, on an antiquated piece of equipment in a mass production facility in China. Okay. Well, I, I, it sounds like a, a, a good philosophy. You know, I was just curious, you know, it's not like you're, you're doing surgery with it. Um, not yet. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, something else I've learned on my, we'll just call it my relatively short journey in this uh, industry, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of just the product development and making of things, is that it seems like time and time again, once you have access to technology, and I'm not just talking about myself, I'm talking about nearly everyone having access to technology, and more specifically, everyone in, in our company here, uh, you know, just taking the 3D printers, for example, it becomes a game changer because now all of a sudden we're utilizing this tool in ways that we hadn't even imagined before we had it available. Okay. And all of a sudden it changes your perspective and it accelerates the development curve and now the product tends to start traveling a path in a slightly different direction than you would have anticipated a month ago, six months ago, before this equipment was there. So with a TROB or with an index that has significantly higher functionality and capability, not to mention capacity. Yeah. It gives us the option to try things that would not be physically feasible in a lesser machine. Yeah. Allowing us to continue the evolution of pushing the mechanical envelope in terms of what is realistically possible for mass manufacturing. Well, I, I, I'm intrigued. Uh, I'll definitely have to come see the operation and I'm intrigued by, you know, what it sounds like you have some 
not to make a pun, but you know, the gears are turning in your head for some interesting plans. Um, Definitely looking to keep the evolution going and to to keep it interesting, not only for you know the people that work here, but also our customers. And that's you know another thing that uh, I think having again access to higher technology equipment, it enables us to continue to produce new components and accessories for our devices to not only maintain a visual and an interest level engagement with our customers, but also to maintain a purchasing level engagement because when you're buying devices and components that generally don't break, the only way to keep a customer coming back is to keep them interested and to continue to make new things that at least look different, if not perform better or differently. Mm -hmm. Well, I, no, it's the concept is great that there just aren't very many moving parts uh, or any really. So, but there's a great irony of using the most complicated machines to make a very simple machine. But it, but it, you know, it makes sense. I just find it comical, but at the same time, it's also very, very gratifying, you know, to think that yes, we're going to use this extraordinarily complex, one of the most technologically advanced CNC machines available today, to make these silly little devices that uh, aren't a whole lot different than rolling papers. Yeah. Well, so you, yeah, you clearly believe in complicated products, but you do you, do you have any desire to make a different type of product that's that that has a lot of different parts inside that's that's more complicated absolutely and one of the biggest holdups in doing that is simply getting to the point where we can consider ourselves as a company to be infrastructurally stable where we have sufficient infrastructure to manufacture sufficient products to at least meet the at that point in time and in the near futures anticipated public demand for our product so we don't leave a gap in the market and still have enough available manufacturing capacity to do our R&D and our development and then make some or further development of some of the concepts that we have and some of the prototypes that are already put together and get them ready for manufacturing. Okay. So you have a lot of you 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 have a lot of uh, other ideas of stuff you want to make. I mean, I would hope so if you're going to buy an MS-22. Our goal is not to keep our machines busy and sell as much product as they're currently making. Our goal is to continue the scaling because when we look at what the global market is for these types of devices, especially as the markets are changing and evolving, you know, with the... I think, I think it's an absolutely good place to be selling something. I, <laughs> it sounds like a better business than ours. <laughs> well, there's always room for uh, collaboration here, so just more fun stuff for us to be thinking about. Do you have anything else to say to the American people or the world, for well, that matter? The biggest thing that I like to convey to people, if they're at all interested in knowing or listening, is that uh, as a small company, our goal is to provide good quality jobs and to really provide anyone that's interested in our products, hopefully, a much better alternative to what they're currently doing or using to smoke. Well, I want to. I'm. I'm. I'm looking forward to receiving one. Well, and hopefully you'll have it next week. I think we got your package just about all put together. It should go out in the mail, if not today, on Monday, and you should have it by the end of the week. Oh, fantastic. That should be great. Really appreciate it. Thank you.
You're very welcome. Well, George, I really appreciate you being on the podcast, and uh, I have a feeling we'll we'll be uh, keeping in close touch uh, the near future. Well, perfect. Thank you, Noah. Hey, everybody. First, we just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. It boosts our egos, and of course, your ears are the reason we do this. But it would be great if you could subscribe and leave a review, as it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you soon.